Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We're so glad you're here. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. For 2023, we're embarking on the Year of Our Lord, a user's guide to and through the Scriptures. So grab your Bible and join us as we journey through the Bible. Good evening. This is going to be session one in a review of the Bible. Probably one of the most ambitious things that we've tried to do on these Wednesday night, um, these Wednesday night studies of our journey through the Bible series. The goal for this is to tag along as a church with the church's goal of reading through the Bible through the course of a year. But before we go into that any further, and especially before we do any kind of deep dive within the Word of God, we always want to do so beginning with a season of prayer. So let's bow our hearts together. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne, we ask that you would use this time, use these hours to help us humble ourselves before you, to open not only our minds but our hearts to your word, to dine extravagantly from its table, to grow, to mature, and Lord, to just to die to self so that through these pages, through these studies, we may be sculpted more and more into the image of your Son. So help us now in this time to truly be your disciples, your students, and give us the knowledge that we need so that we can pass it on to the next generations, to hold to, to that high standard that you have set before us, to be holy just as you are holy. For these things we ask in the name of Christ, and for the sake of whose everlasting kingdom we pray. Amen. So as I always start with any of these uh, studies, I'll start with a disclosure. Acts 17.11, where God tells you through the pen of Luke not to trust anything that Jason Robbins tells you. In this passage in Acts, Paul has been preaching uh, several different places, but he uh, in the Word of God, it makes a point that the people here of Berea were more noble of spirit than those in Thessalonica because they not only received the Word, the Gospel, with eagerness, but they also searched the Scriptures daily. They examined the Scriptures daily to prove what Paul had said was so. In other words, they didn't accept what he was preaching to them at face value, but they did their own homework. And they were blessed as a result of it. So, don't trust anything that I say for granted. But do your own homework. Do your own Bible study. In fact, we'll, we'll talk in just a little bit about uh, my expectations of moving on in this type of Bible study. How to get the most out of it. Now, most of you have ever have heard this as an insult. And an insult attributed, badly I might add, to Benjamin Franklin. And that is that someone is a jack of all trades, but master of none. This person is a Swiss army knife, but can't get that one thing right. In modern parlance, the uh, you had one job type of person. 
But his actual quote was, Jack of all trades, master of one. See, his idea was to be a well-rounded citizen, you have to know everything about a certain something and something about everything. Now, if we take for granted that we are Christians, which I certainly hope you all are, and I'm including everybody that is listening to me in, in internet land here, then you have a great profession. And I'm not just talking about that thing that you do to earn money for yourselves. In Christian parlance, we call that tent making. But you have a profession. You're, the profession of a Christian is being a Christian. This is what Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, talking about the relationship between the individual Christian, the individual believer, specifically him in this case, the pastor, and the Word of God. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, if you do not have this memorized, write this verse down. This is a noteworthy piece of Scripture that every Christian should have in their heart. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it goes on that the man of God should be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished in some translations, meaning that a person in a ministerial situation will want for nothing. The Word of God acting in tandem with the Holy Spirit of God in that individual's life. But before we can have both, we have to have both. Now, what Paul is also indicating uh, kind of byway that he's taking it for granted that Timothy understands is that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed word. That is inspired, meaning that even though it was written by human hands, it was under the superintendence of God. That God himself is the ultimate author from Genesis to Revelation. That it is infallible, meaning that it is fully devoid of all lies and all deceit, except that for which it describes in the passages that are telling us a story or a history. It is incapable of deceiving the believer, in other words. It is inerrant, meaning that it is free of all mistruths, and that it is fully sufficient both for leading someone to salvation equipping that someone to be the minister that they have been called to be, which if you're a Baptist, you understand the thing called a priesthood of all believers, meaning that no one in the church is called to be a pew warmer. But everybody who is a member of a Baptist confessional church, whether it's Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, Eastern Baptist, Western Baptist, Teenage Mutant Ninja Baptist, whatever form of Baptist, we all share this one bit of our heritage that everybody who is a member of one of our congregations is not only just a pew warmer, so to speak, but they are also a minister in that church. It's also sufficient, fully sufficient for devotional time, meaning that through its pages, through not only a careful study, but meditation upon its pages, one draws closer and more intimate in their relationship 
with God. So the Christian profession has three uh, has a threefold element to it. Uh, first of all, we are called to be a lived example of God's love. Whatever it is you do, whether in word or deed, do as unto the Lord. If you are employed in the sheriff's department somewhere, everything you do, do for the glory of God. If you are an office worker somewhere, let everything you do be of the caliber that someone knows that you're not going to cheat them, that you're not going to do second best, but that you're doing everything with a conduct, conversation, and character on top of that that points to Christ. Let everything you do, whether in word or deed, be done as unto the Lord. So we live out an example of God's love to others. Love God with everything that we are. Love your neighbor as yourself, those who bear His image. And of course, love one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ, just as Christ Himself has loved you. And that's where the second one comes in, being a minister of God's mercy. Whether it is feeding the hungry, whether it is clothing those that go without, whether it is finding uh, ways that help people out of poverty. And I'm not talking about uh, neglectful, what I often talk, uh, refer to as toxic charity. I'm talking about helping someone in their hour of darkest need, sometimes in grief, sometimes in illness. But in all things, we are called with a ministry of mercy in mind. And more often than not, that's the thing that softens a heart of stone and opens it up to the possibility that Christ, just as Christ has made an exam a difference in your life, Christ can also make a difference in theirs. Lastly, and this is probably most foundationally of all of them, you are called to be an apologist of God's Word. Meaning, that's where the teaching, reproofing, correcting, and so forth comes into play. As a Christian, your primary emphasis needs to be understanding and living out the Word of God. And it's my hope that through this study for the next year, what we'll be doing as we do kind of the, the, the reading through portion is that we're not just skimming it over to say that we've accomplished something, but we are absorbing it and allowing it to become part of us, to influence what we do. But not only that, when someone raises doubts and concerns, someone finds something that they heard on the internet that they claim will shut Christians down, you have the vocabulary uh, that you need to say, now wait a second, I know that you've got that five cent piece of earthly philosophy from somebody else, but let me tell you what the Word of God says. We are all called to be an apologist of the Word of God. This is from Daniel Webster, early American lawyer, someone who was a huge advocate of education in our society. And he wrote, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, we should underline that word authority. No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. I hope that those words don't soon prove to be prophetic. Let's continue on. So the goals of this study overall is to, for those that are involved with it, are to increase your overall knowledge of the Bible, 
to increase your uh, awareness of its practical instruction, the instruction found in the Bible for daily living. We used to jokingly say that Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. How do we improve our conduct? How do we improve our conversation? How do we allow it to influence our character, which is the person you are when no one else is looking? The practical theology behind who we are and who we are, more importantly, before Christ. The study will also hopefully help you develop a foundation for a deeper personal study. Part of what I'm going to ask you to do is journal through the course of these lectures so that uh, as you are challenged by the Scripture, as you, if you find something that for some crazy reason as you're reading through the Scripture, if you find something that seems to contradict what you know to be true, that you don't like, or that raises a bunch of questions, I challenge you to rejoice over it. Because the faith that I have in God and God's Word says that if it seems like a contradiction or if it seems challenging or if it seems uncomfortable, do your homework in it. Claim the promise of God uttered by Christ when He says that the Holy Spirit will reveal all things and teach all things to us. Go in prayer to your Father in heaven and ask Him to make the situation clear. And I guarantee you, if you do your homework, you will find a special blessing waiting for you on the other side. And it will deepen your faith in Him. Help you develop a navigational awareness of the Word of God, its construction, why the books are laid out as they are. Uh, the, the Bible is unique in that in most books, especially most instruction manuals, if you want to think about it that way, things have a sequence of events or things have a, a topical understanding. If you want to understand grace, for instance, one would think that there should be a chapter on grace. I really wish that were the case. But it isn't. The Bible itself is similar to what I think in, in, in coding uh, that they call a macro code. There is a bit of the whole of, let's take grace as an example of the topic or an instruction. There is grace mentioned in the Bible or exemplified in the Bible from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation. There's commentary all through the pages of Scripture about that aspect of who God is. And the reason it's used in military communication and other kinds of governmental communication like that, where you take a topic and you scatter it all throughout a document, is to make sure that no one can misinterpret it. I hate to say it, but one of the reasons that we're in this really odd situation with the body of Christ, like there are over 81 different denominations of Baptist. Much less, you know, all the other when you include uh, Methodist, Episcopalian, uh, which is now just split off from uh, Anglicanism. There, there are a whole host of different things. More than likely, I believe that a lot of them are that way because someone has hyper-focused on one part of the Bible and neglected the rest. The best commentary you can ever purchase on Holy Scripture is Holy Scripture. If there is something in the Word of God that confuses, that confounds, or, or that makes you scratch your head, chances are good that the answer to that quandary is found somewhere else in Scripture, some, explained somewhere else. 
particularly in the books of Paul. But let's go on. I hope that also through this study that you increase in the richness of your own private devotional time, your quiet time as we call it in the Baptist heritage. And it helps you to draw a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father. So overall, we are studying the greatest story ever written. The greatest drama of the ultimate good versus the ultimate evil. We'll be learning about the nature of evil itself as well as the nature, the tenacity, the long-suffering and the patience of God, or what I've glibly titled good here. Incidentally, there's a reason why God and good sound alike. Good in, in English comes from the word godly. When you say goodbye to somebody, what you're actually saying is a contraction of God be with ye. I'll give you that one for free. We'll talk about the deepest form of love and how it was expressed on a hill in Judea 2,000 years ago. We'll talk, we'll recover a little bit about the deadliest war that will ever be fought on this planet. We'll discuss some of the most incomprehensible mysteries of existence. For instance, the paradox between God's sovereignty and human will. And we'll also talk about the eternal biography of our Savior. Now, with any study, there's always some assumptions, and I'm going to throw these to get them out of the way. First one is the Bible is a very intricate, highly skillfully designed, integrated message system that originates outside of the confines of time. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? What you have in your possession isn't merely just a book. It's a message to you. It is a skillfully constructed message that teaches history in advance, meaning that the person who wrote it is not relegated by the confines of time the same way that we are. And that's another mistake that many people out there make about, uh, about God. They put God in a very narrow box and then accuse us of the same. I'll talk about that more in just a second. The Word of God is only understood in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot study the Bible and truly get anything out of it unless you are a regenerate Christian, period. For anybody else, it's merely an academic or a literary exercise. You have to have the Holy Spirit as your guide. The originals, again, are God-breathed and without error. The Word of God itself is inexhaustible. Meaning for those of you that have read it for countless number of years, you know that any time that you look for something else, any time that you read the Word of God, you always find something a little different, something that's new to you, something that either you didn't notice beforehand or something that the Holy Spirit calls to your attention every time you read the Word of God. Lastly, every detail is connected. And we talked about this in our Revelation study. The Revelation study of last year was a whole Bible study. We saw that how in that one book, every other book of the Bible is somehow interconnected to it. Every color pattern, building material, number, all of it has a significance. All of it gives you 
an indication of the fingerprints of the supreme author who is the Holy Spirit of God. So it's all connected. Here's what you'll need. You'll need, of course, a Bible from a reliable translation, which is also readable. And we'll talk about that in just a second. I, I would prefer if you had some Bible maps, because if we follow Christ from Nazareth down the banks of the Jordan River to the Dead Sea in the area surrounding Jerusalem, that's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you if you don't know where that is. And most of us being here in the United States probably don't have a really good idea of Israeli geography. You'd also need a concordance. A concordance is a device where you can look up topics, like I mentioned grace earlier. In, an, in a more exhaustive concordance, you can turn to the word grace and it'll have listed all the passages of Scripture with that word in it. I would like for you to have a journal handy. And just as we talked about, if something challenges you, if something brings joy to you, if something causes you to think that there's a contradiction, or if some, there's something there that you don't agree with, journal it down as you are reading. Journal it down. Mark it with the date in the passage, so that when God gives you your answer, be it through a sermon, be it through another book, be it through this study, be it through your own research, you'll have that to fall back on. And I guarantee you, it will be one of the, one of the quickest ways that we can develop in, as maturing Christians is to be challenged by the Word of God and to seek those challenges out, to understand them. Find a Bible reading plan. There are two that I recommend. And I know that we're already into the month of January. Find a 365-day reading plan. They usually call for you to read in the, from 25 minutes to 30 minutes. Usually two to three chapters, depending upon the size of the chapter. Either in a book-by-book -book fashion, meaning you go all the way through Genesis, and then all the way through Exodus, and then all the way through Leviticus, and so forth or a chronological reading plan that has a sequence order of events as they occur in the Bible. Like when you get to the books of the Kings, Chronicles, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the Old Testament prophets are in ministry in the times of those books. And a chronological reading plan will tell you, okay, this is the king that was reigning at the time, this is what he did, and then it will tell you to move to the, this passage of one of the prophets, and it will tell you what the prophet was doing in ministry at the same time. That's one that I completed this past year, and I got a lot, a lot out of it. But whatever you do, I do not advise the reading plans where it has something from the Old Testament, something from wisdom literature, something from New Testament, because to me that's just too much bouncing back and forth. Find something that is comfortable and something that makes sense. And finally, find some accountability partners. A small group of three to five people. No less than three, no more than five. Let's talk about Bible translations really quickly. Because this is something that 
that I do get a lot of questions of. Um, and we'll talk about this. Whenever there is contrary wording, in other words, I'm used to the King James Version of the Bible. That's what I grew up in. That's what I memorized growing up. That is my mother tongue when it comes to the biblical scriptures. I am not, however, one of those pastors that will tell you to only grab a King James Bible because that's the type of English that Jesus spoke. To me, it is very important that you have one that is accurate and readable at the same time. Now, nothing against the majesty or the beauty of King James English, but when Jesus tells someone in his parable that it is better if they accumulate usury through the exchequer, that comes from the parable of the talents. I had to read that passage through as a 12-year-old four times before I had the gumption to go to my dad and ask what that means. And when I finally did, he was kind enough to tell me that means that you'd be better off putting it in the bank account and getting some interest off it. Please find a good translation that gives you the, 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 the definition meaning, but also puts it in such a way that you can read it and understand. So, there are two schools of thought. First one, uh, the $40 way of putting it is formal equivalence or, or literal word-for-word -word type of translation. Word-for-word -word means that sometimes the sentences are choppy. They don't really sound as though they link together that well because of that that rigidity of word-for-word -word type of translation. But they are very good at giving you an exact a type of, of uh, equivalency meaning as is possible. The other school of thought is what we call functional equivalence or thought-by-thought, -thought, phrasing. Like if you were ever to visit a foreign country, you wouldn't take a, a dictionary of that language with you. You would take what they used to call a phrase book just in case I want something to eat as a sentence means something different word by word or the way the sentence itself is constructed is different in that other language. A paraphrase copy, uh, that's the only thing that I will ask you please not to bring to this study. The New Living Bible and the Message are not true translations, they are paraphrases. They are better thought of as commentaries on the Bible than Bibles themselves. So please, let's stick with actual translations, not paraphrase editions. These are uh, examples of those word-by-word -word type of translations. The regular and the New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Bible, the New Revised Standard Version. The NRSV, incidentally, is, is the, uh, the academic gold standard right now for seminarians. Um, but again, it's, it's very academic and very choppy, even though it's also uh, a very reliable translation. These are some of those types of translations that try to marry word by word with phrase by phrase. The New International Version, which is, um, it's our pew Bible here. It's 
evangelical uh, edition, the Christian Standard Bible, and the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now, the more phrase-by-phrase type of translations, New American Bible, the Good News Bible, which was a very big um, Bible that was put out in tract form some years ago, the Revised English Bible, the New Jerusalem Bible, and the New Living Translation, not the New Living Bible, the NLT. Now, show and tell time. This is a Parsons Bible that was purchased for me by my, by my in-laws back when I was ordained. It has several study helps in it, including a, a chain reference in the very middle between two columns on every page, where if there is something in the footnotes or if there is a Bible verse that kind of links in meaning with what you're reading at the time, it has it for you here down the middle. This edition also includes a built-in concordance and Bible maps. So if you didn't want to buy a whole library of Bible study material, something along these lines that would give you an idea of what you're looking at, where it's going on in the Bible, and so forth, this would be a good purchase. This is a parallel Bible. For those of you that learned the Bible in, in one translation and wanted to see how it's rendered in some others, if there are cultural differences that don't translate well from Hebrew, let's say, into English, chances are good that you can find it by comparing language translations like this. In, in a lot of our other studies, if you find something different in your Bible than what I'm reading off of, I ask you to tell me because there could be a cultural insight there that one of our translators didn't pick up on. This particular one has the NIV, the NASB, the King James, and the New Living. This is a giant paperweight. This is the New Oxford Annotated Study Bible, the NRSV. It has every bell and whistle you could possibly want in a study Bible. It's also very expensive. It has the concordance, it has a Bible dictionary, it has a lot of different articles, footnotes, annotations, and a giant, uh, a huge number of study maps in the back. You don't necessarily need one of these. By some of the classes I have to have, I have to own one of these. You all don't. So when it comes to this particular study, something along these lines for a study Bible is what I recommend. Something that has a few of the maps in the back to help you understand the geography of where things are going on, a concordance that will help you find something at a glance, and of course a good solid translation. So basic information, getting back to your notes. The Bible that we use in Protestantism, for the most part, is 66 books penned by over 40 different authors, constructed over the course of over 2,000 years 
originally penned in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Koine era Greek. It is the most well-preserved ancient document available today. It has been compared to several other ancient documents, including the Iliad, the Odyssey, uh, manuscripts of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. It has been painstakingly preserved for you. In fact, one of the things that I hope that you develop in these hours is a sense of awe and awareness of just how much God went through to get His Word into your hands. The martyrs who died horrific deaths to make sure that you had the freedom to own a copy of God's Word and the precious value that our forefathers in the faith placed upon the Word of God. It's also, and we'll talk about this, organized into groups of books for study. So you don't have a book. You have a small interconnected library of 66 books, all that tell one story. Now, that story doesn't have its origins in time as we understand time. This is how we experience time. The past is behind us. Occasionally, we think we know what happened back there. The future is ahead of us. Can we see it? No. We can take an educated guess. We can look on experience and facts and so forth like that, but can we know precisely what's going to happen the next second that we breathe, the next second that we live? No. We are confined to the here and now. Charles Spurgeon once said that living as we do is like staring down at railroad tracks and being ne neither able to see what is behind us or the line ahead of us. God is not like us. The Bible is an integrated message that comes to us from outside linear time. The prophets predict history in advance. In fact, they lay out in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, thanks to Revelation and several of the writings of Paul, they lay out history that has yet to be accomplished even in our own lifetime. God through eternity, where we can only see one point in time at a time, has full exposure to past, present, and future. Not only that, but he also has the ability to intercede or invade, however you want to think about it, time at any point that he likes, past, present, or future. So what you have is not only the past story of God and his people, but you have the future as well. In fact, Revelation takes place in a part of history that is probably the most well-documented uh, era of human history in the whole Bible. And we have yet to experience it. I'll put it another way. This iPad that I click through the screens with. The machines that originally built this iPad are not in this iPad. The people, the team that designed this iPad are not in this iPad. They are not confined within it. They are not like it. They are completely different from it. They would have to be. 
someone that put this thing together would have to be able to think creatively, would have to be able to see things like it, to be able to manipulate it, to open it up, to go inside it. We have a really bad habit of thinking that God is as restricted as we are. That the prophets couldn't possibly predict the future because the future hasn't happened yet. Well, duh! But God is already there. The problem that a lot of people have with God is they have a very narrow definition of God, thinking that He is confined the way that we are, by length, breadth, depth, height, and time, when nothing could be further from the truth. The person that put this iPad together does not live in it, is not like it, and is not confined the same way that it is. I hope that person is a lot smarter than it. And God is a lot smarter than anything or anyone in this reality in which we live in today. So one thing that we really need to get out of this study is where the scripture actually comes from. It does not come from the constraints of time or of this universe. It comes to you supernaturally. The fact that you have a copy of the Word of God is a miracle. Did you ever think of it that way? You have a message that comes to you delivered personally from the Holy Spirit of God outside of the natural, coming to you from the supernatural. Anyway, I already covered this in the last slide, so we'll move on. This is the way the Old Testament is divided. This is just for the sake of study. Uh, the Old Testament, we've already completed these in a book-by-book type study years earlier that's available on our podcast ministry. Torah, the word Torah is Hebrew. It actually means the teachings. Functionally, we refer to it as the, the books of the law. In Greek, Pentateuch, simply meaning five books, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the summation book, Deuteronomy. More often than not, when Jesus says the book of the law, singular, that's the one he's talking about. The historical books, the ones that take up where Moses left off, Joshua, the rule of the judges, Ruth, which is actually during the time of the judges, then the last judge, Samuel, bleeding into the kingship. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Then the return of the people to the land in Ezra and Nehemiah. Esther is a little out of place because Esther actually takes place during the Babylonian captivity. The wisdom literature, what in some texts is called the writings. The books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, which is the Song of Solomon. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Lamentations, incidentally written by, uh, tradition teaches us, the prophet Jeremiah. Why are there major prophets and minor prophets? Bonus points for anybody that answers. It's because of the size of the book. Major prophets have enough of their writings that they fill up an entire scroll. The minor prophets are so small that all of them put together fit on its own scroll. There's nothing minor about the minor prophets. A lot of Jesus 
is found in the minor prophets. So anyway, the minors, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The New Testament. The Gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they read so similarly to each other. John's the weirdo. John is often called John the mystic because he, his language and some of his scenes are so bizarrely different from the rest of them. In fact, his Christmas story, the word was, in the beginning, the word was, was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt and we have seen his glory. That's John's Christmas story, which is significantly different from in Bethlehem, History, the Acts of the Apostles, you could also consider that the history of the church in its birth in the first century. The Pauline epistles or the letters of Paul, uh, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, his writings to other pastors in First and Second Timothy, Titus, and his request to free the slave and think about justice in a radical new way in the book of Philemon. Paul, incidentally, writer of more of the New Testament than any other author. The epistles from others. Um, I put this asterisk next to Hebrews because it's unsigned. There are many that suspect, myself included, that it was either written by Paul or by one of his own apostles. Nevertheless, it was canonized into Scripture. So Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. That rounds out all of the epistle letters. The the um, almost, if you will, prophetic messages to the churches at the time. And of course, the apocalyptic literature, the unveiling, which is the book of Revelation, which we spent way too much time on last year. But I hope you enjoyed that and got a lot out of it. So the Old Testament is the story of a family that becomes a nation. But the Old Testament by itself is incomplete. There are unexplained ceremonies, the feasts of the Old Testament, that on their own don't really have an explanation except that they reflect back. But as we discover in the New Testament, they also point forward. There are unachieved purposes through several of the covenants that were established. There are unanswered longings voiced in the poetry, particularly in the Psalms. And of course, there are a bunch of unfulfilled prophecies. But then we get to the New Testament. The voice of Jesus himself tells us in John 5.39, you search the scriptures daily, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of... You think you're so smart. He's talking to the Pharisees here. You think you're so smart that you've memorized all this scripture, but yet you are so blind because you don't see that everything that Moses was writing about, all the prophets, the books of the kings, the histories, all of it leads to Christ. Quoted by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 7, 
I said, behold, I have come. The volume of the book is written of me. From Genesis to Revelation, it all centers on a person. Christ himself, God incarnate. is written of me to do your will, O God. The New Testament is the story of a couple. Christ and his bride who is the church. In the New Testament, the, the promised Messiah is revealed. The past becomes explained. The church is both commissioned and instructed. Not only that, but her future is also forecast. From St. Augustine of Hippo. I most firmly believe that their authors were completely free from error. If, if in these writings I am confused, I do not hesitate to suppose either that a manuscript is faulty or the translator has not caught the meaning of what was said or I myself have failed to understand it rightly. This was our heritage. This was our understanding. In order to understand the Bible, the Bible has to have an authority in our lives. It cannot just be a curiosity laying on a distant shelf somewhere gathering dust. It has to be, particularly to those of us of the people called Baptist, the foundation of everything that we do in doctrine and in practice and in worship. And if we do not understand it, if we do not take the time necessary to fully comprehend it, if we do not seek to understand God through its pages, then ultimately we're only kidding ourselves. But if we take upon ourselves that task, that bit of the profession that we profess, then not only do we develop as a healthier church, as a stronger individual Christian, but when we come before God, the intimacy that we feel with Him when that day finally arrives will be all the more sweeter because He won't be just a foreign concept or a historical figure from years past. He will be someone who has been there for us all along. Someone that we will know as our Savior and our Lord and our constant companion. A perfect God prepared a perfect message. Penned by imperfect human beings, but penned under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit of God. Sheltered and protected by God, proclaimed by the prophets, taught and lived out by Christ, preached by the apostles, and should be cherished by the church. So for next session, have all of your tools handy. Again, I'm not asking you to buy an entire theological library. A good study Bible with a decent set of maps and a concordance in the end will be perfect. Have a journal ready too for your reading. Get in touch. You can do this as a family or you can do this 
as a ladies group or you can do this with some of the men of the church, but get together with no fewer than three, no greater than five. Contact your friends and put together an, what we used to call an accountability group, a short group, one that you can share with each other in a day other than Wednesday what you've discovered in your time and hold each other to continuing in that reading to help boost each other, to help encourage one another. Because when you're a part of a group like that, just as iron sharpens iron, the Bible tells us, so we sharpen each other. So like the Bible in a year reading plan. Again, I, I highly recommend either a through the book type of reading plan all the way through Genesis, then all the way through Exodus and so on, or a chronological one, one that takes you through this happened at this period and these are the scriptures that cover it. It's up to you, but please select one and we'll begin on it when I give you the introduction to Genesis next session. And go ahead and try to schedule, hopefully you already have this, but I'll ask you to schedule a 30-minute daily devotional time. It can be any 30 minutes. It can be at any part of their day. But please consider it a personal meeting with God, not just a time to crack open the book, but consider it a prayer time where you have a meeting or a scheduled appointment with God himself. And yes, you will be reading through the Bible, but you'll also be praying. You'll be journaling. You'll be hopefully meditating on His Word and growing in your relationship with Him. Any questions before we conclude? Did you learn something this evening? Were you blessed this evening? Was it a good night to be in God's house? Okay, and all God's people said. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we can steal away. Lord, as we commit this time and ourselves into your hands without reservation, I ask that you would use it and us Lord, as we seek to grow closer together and closer to you, help us as a church, Lord, to best realize your mission for us to both know you and to make you known to others. Help us to gain a sense of awe and wonder at the links that you went to so that we might have this precious library of books. Help now to open it to us so that in our hearts and in our minds, we can not only absorb its teaching, but we can put it to practice. That we may hide your words in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. But that we may truly, with each passing week, each passing moment, grow evermore into the image of your Son. Bless us now as we continue on. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. 
to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you and God bless you.